0: A podcast
1: one production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. Struggling with gut problems from a very young age, Rosie Mansfield thought that she would spend her life dealing with chronic stomach pain. But when she modified her diet and saw things rapidly improving, she realised that the connection between the gut and the mind was much stronger than she'd ever realised. She now wants to bring that understanding to the world and has coined the term food hacking. I sat down with Rosie to talk about her philosophies, the stigma of mental health and the effect that one of her food heroes, Anthony Bourdain, had on her life. From the UK, from Cornwall.
0: Certainly am. I love Cornwall. I'm very proud that I uh, grew up there. Um, they're just the most wonderful people. And basically, I did. I went around the world at about 18 and found Sydney and went, hey, this is actually quite like my hometown, Newquay. Yet it's a lot warmer for about eight, yeah. nine more months. So, yeah, it kind of it stole my heart here as well. But I actually see a real connection between the two of them.
1: It's interesting. And people, I think it, for most Australians, they don't understand. They go, you've got no good beaches in England. Like they think they're all just pebbles and, and dreary weather. But it's not, is it? I used they- to go on holiday every year, just so you know, my parents, terrible. And I I used to think it was terrible, but now I look back and go, oh, that was lovely. We used to go in our caravan every year, always go to Devon and Cornwall. And so every summer holidays I go, where are we going, mum? And we go, Devon or Cornwall and I go oh god, (laughs) you know like another Cornwall holiday but now I look back and go how wonderful
0: how beautiful nostalgic moments I mean that's a lot for most Brits, I think they try to get away and they go to Cornwall that's what happens, Cornwall or Devon, it is absolutely um, stunning.
1: Beautiful beaches beautiful. Yeah with no pebbles
0: real sand with really good surf.
1: yeah blue water when the sun's out and and good food, no? Do you remember any of this growing up?
0: Really good food, really good food. So I did I I really did grow up with food all around me. And um, I mean, obviously, you've got the things like the pasties and the, the cream teas and all that sort of thing. But you just kind of baking and sort of craft. There's very cutesy stuff. You know, I think comfort food is very much um, something that I try to uh, do in my recipe books and all sorts of things like that, because it really is based on comfort food when you live in England.
1: Yeah, That's I remember, I mean, I just remember lots of fresh food going on holiday. But for some reason, I remember giant seagulls. And great ice cream with Cornish cream slathered all over the top.
0: Yeah. That, they are. That's just
1: touristy, obviously. But, but they are
0: actually massive. They're predators. I see the seagulls over here. the ice here. creams, the <laughs> seagulls, <too. laughs> Well, they're becoming, aren't they? But no, I mean, the seagulls are absolutely huge. And I even had a friend who dislocated their shoulder from coming from the back... Uh, when they had a pasty in their hand. So, I mean, they're pretty uh, lethal as well.
1: That's quite a funny Cornish (laughs) stereotype. There I was standing with a pasty in my hand and a giant seagull. Didn't
0: even make it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Do you remember a particular moment when you were really young about baking or cooking or your mum... That, that still stays with you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it comes from grandma, which it often does as well. Is my grandma actually lived in Bath and I used to visit, and every time she would make this incredible chocolate fudge cake, which, is, again, is a very British thing. But it was just like the whole a special occasion, and like she spent the whole afternoon doing it. I think that's really got into my heart, is actually um, showing love through food is most definitely something that I um, I do as well. But, yeah, it's just a very nostalgic thing for me to... Think so, of home. so,
1: what's the, what was your your grand's name or your nana's name? Helen. And she's still around? Or she is, she, is still around? Wow! Yeah, yeah
0: ninety one, same age as the Queen.
1: So that fudge cake's doing that fudge cake's doing wonders, isn't it? <laughs> Certainly do, is. Do you see any of her in yourself?
0: Yeah, she's a very warm character, and I would say, you know, I, I am a warm character, and and yeah, like I say, like it is an expression of love. Is cooking. And that most definitely has not gone. You know, even when you start doing media, you'll do T V, really this the thing really down to it is food is love, really. And that's that's what I try to put over as well. It's a lovely thing to do for your family. So a moment friends. in
1: your life where you think it was expressed perfectly?
0: Oh uh, well, I actually my mum's best friend was um the most incredible woman and in, and I've got kind of a silly kind of personality as well. And, and she really was uh, made rock buns one time. And I remember Explain she, a rock
1: bun, because no one knows what a rock bun is. <laughs>
0: well, a rock bun is literally that. A rock bun, <laughs> it, it sits in your stomach like a rock. It's a sugary, almost heavy scone type thing. And uh, she made it into a snail. And basically, every time I'd cook with her, we'd turn something into some sort of animal or something like that. And there was a, a real playful silliness With that, And I think um, I've definitely brought that into my cooking as well. A bit of silliness on Good Chef, Bad Chef, same thing as we have a laugh. And um, yeah, I think that's just the way I got taught to do it.
1: So going to school, leaving school, did did you have in your mind what you were going to do as a grown-up?
0: Absolutely not. No, I was quite late in finding out what I wanted to do. I always knew I loved biology and anatomy and science and excelled in PE and... um, yeah, biology and things like that. So I always knew I was kind of going to go down maybe like a vet line or something like that. Um, And then I got really unwell at 13 and I didn't know why and I kind of lost my appetite. And from there it really was, it's kind of the universe going, right, you are supposed to be in health right now because obviously I did heal myself through nutrition and the power of food was so it was just like a lightning bolt really and i feel very much like i have no control over it now this is how i'm going to dedicate my life and i couldn't think of doing anything else
1: but what happened doing at 13
0: 13 i just kind of lost my appetite i think it was a real i was going through a few emotional things as a teenager and and obviously there's a massive gut brain link there that we're we're learning more about all the time and you're
1: saying obviously, but it's not obvious to me. I don't, well,
0: it's, it's coming out. I'm certainly out. conscious
1: it's of my gut. I know that yeah. that's, a, that's a fact. <laughs> well, but you, at 13, that's not an obvious thing. That was no, when you not. were 13, that's not running through. We well, you know mind. when you're nervous. So, what, what was happening at 13?
0: Well, when you're nervous and you're trying to work out, you know, who you are and where your place in the world is. And basically, I think a lot of my worries manifested in the gut, and I ended up having, you know, what we thought was just irritable bowel syndrome and went through and exhausted the medical system. And in some days I actually thought I was dying. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what was wrong and went on that kind of white treadmill of doctors and GPs and and was really kind of, in a way, disgusted at not having any referrals to any complementary. And doctors at 13 years old literally going, we don't know what's wrong with you, that we were forced to go down a complementary medicine route or it was called alternative medicine Mm. back then. Not everybody really likes the name of that. And then... I found it, a nutritionist.
1: Just focusing on that for a yeah. second. So when, before you went down this natural medicine route, what were the conversations between your mum or, or how was, you know, this illness? I mean, having what you thought would have been irritable bowel syndrome at 13, you know, how did that, was that difficult at school? Were you embarrassed? Was it?
0: It was, yeah. My mum was very worried. She didn't know what was going on either. We were both looking for answers everywhere. And, and I really, God bless her and to starting to think you know let's look at this differently let's let's see what else is out there and then we came across a nutritionist
1: do you remember that first appointment
0: oh most definitely yeah i mean it's gonna get a bit gruesome now but basically she simply asked me to do a stool sample we did that and we found out that i had um candida of the gut basically which is a massive overgrowth of yeast which can make you feel foul and if that's been going on for a long, long time, you've had a lot of stress, it's been manifesting in the gut, it can make you feel awful. It can literally make you feel like you're dying. So what happened is I went on to a really strict sugar, yeast-free diet, which is called the candida diet. So the weed seed feed, um, which is really... It's weed
1: seed feed.
0: Weed what? seed feed. So you get all of those things that are going to be feeding any bad bacteria happening. And then what you do is make sure that all your beautiful, lovely villi, which are all your nice um, bits in your gut, are nice and stood up. And then what we do is we re-flora the gut with all beautiful things. So anyone that's gone through the candida will know how restrictive and t- difficult it is, especially at 13, 14, when I'm supposed to be smoking fags down the bottom of a
1: field. <laughs> you know,
0: I'm there like... But it was, it was a big eye-opening, you, know? they, <clears> they, you know. My friends were being naughty and drinking uh, hooch, which you probably won't know either. Yeah, explain it's explain hooch, come on. <laughs> just a very low-alcoholic, bright blue or green drink, you know they're doing all Homemade. that, yeah, doing all that naughty stuff, and I'm turning over tomato paste, seeing if there's dextrose in it, and I just think it was a really incredible. I see it now, experience to go through at that age, but it really was set me on my path to what I'm doing now, and yeah, I could see it of. I'm kind of appreciative of that what, happening now. What do you mean now.
1: turning over tomato paste and seeing if there's dextrose? Sugar, sure, just, you know... Oh, my, you mean actually my, reading my labels? Life,
0: yeah, my life was reading labels and just wanting to, you know, stay strict because with every day I was on this restrictive diet, I was feeling better. Okay. And that's the main point, really, is I was feeling better.
1: When, when did things change for you as a, as a teenager where... It, that that happened was it?
0: it honestly i'd felt unwell for about a year and a half within six <coughs> weeks of being on a restrictive diet i was starting to feel better which i think is quite amazing how come really?
1: the doctors didn't pick this up Never. it's
0: not it's not integrative medicine is not massive yet you know where you know a doctor will also do a module in you know mass nutrition or homeopathy or things like that it is starting to happen now but it's got a price tag on it as well but to think holistically as a doctor i mean I mean, I used to be seven minutes. You went into the GP, you tried to chat as much as you can, get as many problems done, but there is a feeling of being rushed out of the medical system and that is something that you know I have some got some views on and I know it is getting better, but it's a very pressurised system and I think it's wonderful that the complementary therapy is getting more out there so that we can um, think of things in loads of different ways because mm. there's loads of different ways to heal your body.
1: So how did you feel as a 15-year-old?
0: Fantastic!
1: <laughs> Drinking all the hooch and fags is a so good <laughs> Drinking hooch and smoking fags! Had a
0: lot of catching up to me! <laughs> nah, um, I, I mean it was great because it actually got me out of that, uh, I never got into that real naughty phase and then I just started enjoying my life, you know, like, I've always been a surfer so I just surfed, ran, you know, just and then I became a personal trainer and, and that was basically the start of my whole
1: career. What did you do to make this your your career and your life's journey?
0: Well, I was personal I was personal training and I was noticing that people were not getting the results that they should. And I was like, I'm a good trainer. I know this. Like, what is going on? And I'm like, they're saying they're doing all this training. And I, I worked a lot with women as well. And I did realize that, like, there was a lot of kind of excuses happening and a lot of blaming genetics. And to a point there is, but it's, so I knew that it was what they were eating. And I could only watch them so much, so... I think studying nutrition was a natural progression after five years as a personal trainer to try to, you know, look after somebody wholly.
1: What do your clients tell you?
0: Look, I've heard every excuse in the book. Give us uh, a few. Oh, I mean, well, I had, I had, well <laughs> I've got a really funny story here is that I had a, a woman who had been, she went to Bali a lot with her husband who I think was doing business. And she's like, oh, I'm going, suddenly getting all these amazing results. And I was like, oh, yeah. She goes, yeah, I've got this... um. This new tablet that I got in Bali, and I was like, "Oh dear, right next session, can you come and have a look?" And she was looking amazing. She's like, "I've got all this energy, and I'm cleaning the house. And I'm doing far much more housework." And the next, you know, week, she came over with this jar of tablets and. She basically didn't have an effrogen. She'd been on speed. (laughs) I was like, all right, I think we're going to just taper down on those ones and we'll get back to the food. But look, yeah, there is a lot of excuses that are out there. But at the end of the day, it is moderation, it's balance. I am a very realistic um, nutritionist and person. We hear this all
1: the time. You know, I remember I started boxing and my trainer said, uh, you know, we're going to teach you how to box uh, because it's like a proper boxing trainer, and we're going to strip the weight. And after about six months, he goes, we're teaching you how to box, but what are you eating? You know, and I said, you've got no idea. You know, because- <laughs> What are so, you eating? Uh, I eat lots of good stuff. I eat lots and lots. I've actually had a, a dietician come in and look at what I did. It was about oh, four years ago. And uh, she said, I know what you've done. You've put every diet you've ever heard of together together. Mm. which seemingly is what most people (laughs) tend to do. So I'm like on low carb, high protein, uh, multiple meals. Like I'm just doing all Mediterranean, you know, Mm -hmm. and really all of my food comes from flavor, you know, so I'm always adding olive oil to stuff because, you know, rather than eating like a a ricotta with salt and pepper and some tomatoes, I put olive oil on instantly tastes better, but it's not that that's bad, but I'll do lots of that across Mm. the day. So I'm just... She goes, you're eating lots of really good stuff. You're just eating too much of it. I reckon loads of people are like that. The
0: thing about being an ex-chef as well is that chefs do graze as they eat, don't they? And then sometimes they don't have real meals. But the thing is, if you're... You're now not chefing. You also want to enjoy the meals as well. So before you know it, if you don't do a regular food diary, you are going to be munching all the time. See, all of a
1: sudden I've drawn a comparative to an an ex-athlete. How did I do that? You know where an athlete (laughs) is, is, you know, that we... i I can connect you Hey Rosie, I can connect the two. I can connect it. Trust me, listen.
0: And you know what? That's what people don't do enough is they, um, sometimes they find things that stick well to them. I see this a lot in kind of teenage girls. They can eat everything and then suddenly they go to university and bosh, they realise that their metabolism is starting to slow down a little or, you know, they're eating the same portion as their first boyfriend and they haven't worked out that, you know, that you've got to sometimes adjust and you have to actually constantly, well, not constantly, but every so often you need to check in and go, you know, have have I changed? Do my Does my body feel differently now? You know, it could be every... Every year, it could be every 10 years you do that. But that's most definitely something. I mean, it happens, um, you know, about 50, 60 as well. Things really do start slowing down. It's like you do need to just kind of stop sometimes and be more, far more conscious, which is becoming far more difficult as it was really busy as well. But, you know, things like food diaries and, you know, regular meetings with nutritionists is a great way of doing that.
1: We all want a silver bullet, don't we? We want the easy way out. We sure do. Like the, the, the pill. That's a different kind of pill that you were talking about your client had. But but people want to, you know, uh, grab something that they can go, this is going to work. This diet is going to work.
0: Yeah.
1: And And for me, they they never do because I think the obsessive part of the obsessive compulsive side of my or the enjoyment that I have, that slippery slope, I always go, ah, go on. Yeah. And I do it. Yeah. You know, like the the cheese calls me at nine o'clock at night. I know. And it's there, and I'll go, I'll go and have a piece. And, and somebody actually told me, they said, well, maybe what you should do is make a ceremony of the cheese. I go, that is a great idea. So Make eat it, it sacred. Make it sacred, eat it, but eat a little bit less and slow it down rather than hitting the fridge at 9 o'clock. Love that person. And, yeah. and pretending <laughs> to my wife that I'm actually making a cup of coffee, but what I'm really doing is eating brie. Oh,
0: yeah, I feel you with the cheddar. <laughs> Yeah, I <laughs> we, know
1: the home of uh, good cheddar. <laughs> yeah, in that part of England.
0: But you're right. It's like it's convenience, and we do we. You know, we ha- we're quite stressed, and what most definitely what we do is we reward ourselves after a hard day with a very large meal, and, and especially actually in England, I noticed when I was just there. You know, the main meal is dinner. And it's carb-rich, and it's almost a reward for getting through the day, whereas we should really be switching that. We don't need that energy when we go to sleep, but a lot of it is conditioning and and comfort and, and um, yeah, trying to look after ourselves through food. But there is other ways that we can do it. And do you know what? That's okay sometimes, but, of course, it has to be in moderation.
1: Well, you've got – your website says that you're the most realistic nutritionist in the world. Whoa, That is a USP if I've ever heard one. Did a copyright like that? (laughs) Yeah, the world has ever seen. What do do you mean by that?
0: (laughs) I am really realistic. You know, I do love my cheese. I do love my wine. I am the everyday person. I can represent that. And I do understand the the slip-ups that happen, the way we deal with stress. And, you know, that's why I've written the book Food Hacker. So I believe that we need to be able to enjoy all those lovely foods, um... But there needs to be a way that we do this to match in with our busy lifestyles and then, you know, not come off our goal too much as well. And I think that's what food hacking is, really.
1: Right. And you, have you coined the term food hacking? I'm trying is to. That your, that's your baby.
0: <laughs> I'm most definitely trying to. Where did
1: it, Where did that idea come from?
0: Well, I mean, hacking's always been around, right? It's to make simpler. It's to slim down. Um, and food hacking has kind of, kind of been in Asia a little bit and, and no one has... Coined the term, you know, and that and that's something that I saw and and saw, you know, what a strong brand that is, and what I, I think people do understand what food hacking is, you know, they're, but they're also a little bit in, intrigued and they need to understand it, you know, a little bit a little bit more. And basically, it is, it simplifying food, making it fit in with your lifestyle so that you know it's achievable? Because you know some of these diets that are out there, they are. They do make you feel pretty awful and you still need to go and do your 9 to 5 or whatever it is mm. you do whereas food hacking you can get
1: into your life in so some ways So do you have like your five golden rules or how do you how do you present that to someone when you introduce the idea?
0: Yeah, look, food hacking to me is certain ways of eating, but it's not actually, they're not really principles. My book is 80% nutrition, sorry, 80% vegetarian, because I believe that it is one of the easiest things that you can do to get quite great results pretty fast. So I'm a vegetarian personally myself, but 80% uh, vegetarian is most definitely an easy way of looking after yourself and prevent disease in as much way as you can and the easiest way. Um, but also as well, what it is is the 80-20 rule as well. So it's a lot of 80% out there. So 80% of the time trying as hard as you can, 20% of the time indulge, have that breed, like do it. And the other thing is 80% full. What we do is we eat till we are so full. 80% full, you know, it's called in in Japan, in Japan. And it's just just stop just before and actually you know that mindfulness and bringing in you know i'm a little bit holistic as well without being too hippie whippy and it's it's just yeah be a bit more mindful and conscious about when you're eating because it does feel that much better
1: this is a plate to call home i'm gary megan and more from rosie after the break What is the first thing you do for for someone who's caught in a in a cycle of bad habits or not able to lose weight regardless of seemingly what they do?
0: Food diary hundred so, percent Food diary is the most incredible action that can you can take to just be accountable for yourself because what you you have to write it down okay and also if you don't choose to not, you know in your head that you haven't so it's sometimes you can just give someone a food diary and you don't need to ever see them again they it, that is enough for them to just go. Witness what they are doing, you know, because there is a lot of unconscious eating that happens and it's basically just bringing the conscious completely back. It's a really great way if you've just spiraled off a little or you're feeling a little bit out of control with the eating, which happens with men, women, children, old people, that happens, get the food diary on. Just print it out, put it on the fridge or just carry it around with you and just get your food diary. And the, and the big
1: meals at night. I, it's funny, I, I have this thing in my mind where I say, oh, if I'm going to eat it, then I don't regret it. But my wife's the opposite. Like she'll beat herself up mm. and she'll, you know, you can see that she's quite, she holds that in. Have yeah. you had that experience? Did yeah. you, You're, you're an- anxious about food or anxiety about food or?
0: There is a lot of pressures or social pressure I'm seeing as well that's happening and that, that's quite why you kind of hold on to sometimes, you know, I shouldn't eat that, I should eat that, the, you know, the perfect weight, which, you know, I don't think there is a perfect weight. It's um what feels good on you. But um. Yeah, most definitely I've gone through that so I can have a, a good viewpoint on that. But um, yeah, getting in control, I do, I do the same things as well. Yeah, I'm a nutritionist, but I'll still do a food diary sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit, you know, out of control with my eating. it's it's a, It works for everyone of every See, level. in
1: my life at the moment, I'm surrounded by, uh, I've got a 17-year-old daughter, so oh, yeah. I'm surrounded by their friends. You know, I listen to their conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And luckily, you know, my daughter has never been caught up or anxious about, Wouldn't seemingly not, although in the last year or so, I've noticed she's very conscious of her body. Do you see a lot of that?
0: Most definitely, most definitely. Um, I, th- I, w- I would say it's a real issue. I do, and I think body positive is, and there's some beautiful people that are doing some amazing things with just getting girls, especially, body positive, and I, I think that's great, and to hit them up at that age, especially with things like Instagram, and it is filtered, and it is Photoshopped, um it's something that i am well behind and you know i'm starting to catch myself even because the way that nutritionists talk we do talk about weight and you know, I try not to use BMI and I don't count calories, BM- you know.
1: Explain BMI. Yes. Your yeah. brain works at a, a so, ultra it's pace. It's so I'm you down. science, isn't yeah. it?
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Look, body mass index, okay, which is really kind of old school now, okay? So cuz it doesn't really count in muscle and things like that. So I actually think there is a lot of adjusting we need with our government as well and the, and our terms and the things that are going through school and how we assess how we feel and what a healthy weight is. And I think in the next 10-20 years you'll see that change in how we teach our children to assess their body weight or even how personal trainers take your measurements, you know, because there is much better, healthier ways to uh, talk about a healthy weight and things like that. And of course, it's not all about weight. It's about how we feel and if you're healthy. So um, health are, is far more important than weight. What are
1: those ways? So Give us a couple of ideas in terms of how we should be talking about our weight or our health.
0: Well, the main thing is we need to ask ourselves how we feel. So our mental health, and that is something that I'm well behind. You know, having someone who I I have suffered with anxiety my whole life and checking in with, um, especially teenagers, mental health, um, you know, everyone's mental health, and um, I think that consciousness is most definitely coming out as well. That is how we can start checking that everybody's okay as well. When you say
1: that you've been dealing with anxiety all your life, Mm. how's that manifested itself? How do you... Well, I mean, Still
0: f- first through my gut, most definitely. <clears throat> first through my guts. And then, you know, you start learning wonderful tools when you kind of, you know, do um, really struggle with it. So, I mean, I've been doing meditation for the last five to six years. Um, kind of love researching Kadampa Buddhism. I've found ways that work for me. You know, I'm a avid exerciser as well, and I've learn to not bash the treadmill all the time now and, and, you know, stretch a bit more or go to a yoga class. And it and it's learning things like that, those sort of tools. But yeah, checking in with the mental health is um, why massively... Ang- why do you get anxious? I don't know. That's the whole thing, generalised anxiety. Sometimes you do for no reason whatsoever. And that's actually... It's. A, I'm really glad you asked that question because that's often what people think is that that has to be something. But sometimes you're just born with maybe not making enough dopamine. I've gone science here again. Dopamine, okay. We don't mind. Things like, things like that, you know, like, and 90% of serotonin is made in the gut. And, and there is most definitely a link with, you know, what we're putting in our mouths and how we're feeling with our mental health. But um, mental health is out there and it affects a lot of people, mm. a lot of people. So I think whenever we look after... Our bodies, like, you so some of us go to the gym five to seven times a week. Do we meditate five to seven times a week? No, it's brain gym, mind gym. It's just as important. And it's really, you know, only in the last kind of decade that I did really start understanding that we don't look after our brains enough or put the energy or the time aside in a 24-hour day to do 20 minutes of meditation. You know, it really is going to take effect. It's
1: interesting you say that because I don't want to keep bringing my daughter into it, but she's going through exams at the moment. And just beats herself up about, and she's i know it. She's got mm. that, you know. My Mandy, my wife's a little bit the same, you know. Beats herself up about not performing to this this self-imposed mm. uh, level, you know. And she wants to be an A student all the time. And I—I I must be the—I feel like the worst dad sometimes because I go put the homework down, you know. Don't worry about it. M- Mandy reminded our daughter that. She did terribly in her exams just because all the way through school did brilliantly and then sitting those because one that back in the day, mm. you know in the early 80 s, you just sat down in a big hall, did your exams, and that was it. And the anxiety got on top of her and mm. she just pretty much failed everything. I can encourage you to exercise. Mm. go for a run. it'll it'll clear your mind. yeah, but that that's important. You need tools. To, you
0: just need tools. We need to just equip them with as many tools as possible, you know, be it food, exercise, meditation, whatever it is, you know arc be creative you know it's, it's, it is looking holistically you know I've used a lot of words holistic and conscious quite a lot but it's because there are words that are going to come out more yeah. because I think we do need to start looking after ourselves and things aren't as black and white and you know especially I see chefs as well they don't look after themselves yeah. <laughs> they really don't and they really should because it's a very high stress and you guys do crazy hours and yeah like is is madness. I'm pretty
1: sure there's a lot of industries like that. I mean, it'd be like drivers or you know, like truck yeah. drivers and stuff, you know, they they're always the ones that they pick out drivers because they're sitting still and eating bad food. Chefsy uh, i I used to find we all find that um we'll be cooking beautiful food and we're surrounded by beautiful ingredients. Like you're going in the fridge and shuffling through all these vegetables, but no one ever actually grabs a carrot or makes a salad or whatever. It's a it's um and I read somewhere, I think it was because Anthony Ordain died oh, recently which is very sad. Yep. And lots of these posts and people were posting stuff saying um stuff like you know these they would live vicariously through his travels while and I think one chef wrote while sitting on a milk crate with a handful of dried cereal. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they've they've literally they're just grabbing a break and grabbing uh, you know a piece of white bread with butter and shoving something in between it and sitting there and eating it. It's ridiculous. Why we're do working...
0: they think they don't? They shouldn't be nourished? What is that? I don't that? know. I
1: think it's just uh, t- probably time poor and anxious. I think that's where we're coming <laughs> yeah. from. So we'll get home. We'll oh, I'll eat later. And I think, you know what it is? When I'm working, I'm not thinking of food. Yeah. Uh, when I'm at home, I'm thinking of food. So I don't think of food all day. Mm. I mean, it's different now. I live a different life now. But y- you'd work all day, get home at 11 o'clock at night, <clears throat> open the fridge, mm. and there's never anything in it. It was a big thing, Anthony Bourdain, dying in, in the chef world for sure Yeah.
0: It was, re- it was really big. So actually, I was out with my um, parents because I was visiting home and I was in St. Moore's and, and I just saw that actually Justin Schofield had just posted a photo and I just went, no, please, no. Because Anthony really did... There's a playfulness to the way that I present and it's most definitely from him. I read all his books. I loved that he was doing things on his own terms. That was That's just the most incredible thing and I... I must say, like he's on one of my blogs, as you know, one of my top 10 dinner party guests. And I, I just think he's incredible, you know? He got drunk. I know that he had food poisoning and he, and he actually asked them to carry on filming. And there's one interview he can't even remember because he was so blind drunk. And I just think that is fantastic TV. That is doing TV differently. And I just remember watching him going... He's absolute. He's an absolute rock star. He's an absolutely amazing. Yeah. I want to present like him. Do things a bit differently, a bit quirky. And yeah, uh, God rest his soul. He's an amazing guy.
1: I think uh, I remember Kitchen com- uh, Confidential yeah. and I remember reading that for the first time and thinking it almost, not legitimised, but it put it out on the table and then said and said this is kind of the dirty expose oh, on, a, on a Never wicked, eat on a
0: Monday. Yeah, a wicked chef's <laughs> life of, yeah. you know,
1: debauchery and 100%. all sorts of. Yeah, you know, amazing. Um, but I don't know. I honestly expected that he, t- I thought he turned his life around.
0: So you know, He I. was doing
1: jiu-jitsu. He looked very healthy. He had a. <laughs> New partner, and I just, I just thought you would. He, you looked at it and go, he's just got the dream life.
0: Sure, and I think actually that's what really got me a little bit upset when I heard it, is that you know it can look like that, and again we talk about social media, everything looks great. You got your TV show, you got everything like that, and it just shows mental health is such an invisible thing. It's mm. such an invisible illness, and you know there, are, there's just hardly any ways really to show it apart from talking about it and encouraging and making you know just you know trying to make light or bring comedy, which is probably what his way of dealing with it as well is what he did, is, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a real bit of an uh, eye-opener and, a, and reminds us all that we need to check in with everyone all the time, because even when it looks like you have a beautiful, beautiful life, mm. the demons will still get you if they want to, and, you know, it's about, like we say, getting those tools and making sure that, you know, we're all okay. So
1: for, for us every day, you know, what are the hacks that we need to like do, do now, do tomorrow, do this weekend?
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the great thing is, is to try to, you know, flip that triangle over. Whereas instead of having a kind of a massive dinner, we have a, big breakfast then we have a medium lunch and we have a, a small dinner it's just that's a simple hack to just do is just flip that triangle that we all got taught the other way um, and again trying to get a bit more plant based in your diet so I'm not vegan either like I say I love my cheese I love my yoghurt but trying to have a little bit more plant-based. So, you know, not having meat every single night. Meat is a treat, really. Um, don't tell Adrian again I said that, but, I mean, that is something that's really, really easy. And again, my 80% full, so just try to stop and just try to be a bit more mindful when you are eating. Um, when that fullness happens, that intuitive eating, that intuitive nutrition kicking in, so that's really the simplest things that I could offer.
1: Do you have any guidelines on alcohol? Since oh. I'm a bit dusty this morning. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> it's not true. I've got a cold brewing. Well, le- no, it's, <laughs> no, it's too much red wine.
0: You're a little bit nasally. No, I am a bit nasally.
1: Uh, <laughs> and, it, and that's red wine. That's right, what I, I'm pretty So I'll damn give you a sure little it. hack
0: when you have had too much is get on the chlorophyll, okay? The chlorophyll. So, obviously, alcohol is acidic building. So, try to get a bit alkaline the next day. That's a real nice way of just kind of balancing your body out. And you know, when you feel just horrific get more alkaline with your food there. Um, but the other thing as well, just like me, alcohol should be a bit of a treat really. And just try to watch your mixes. So I, I love my red wine. I don't really drink white wine, but I love my red wine. But just, it's all moderation really.
1: Any any truth to to, to beer makes you fat versus or, and beer belly or white beer wine?
0: Beer most definitely is a moderation. But yeah, look, it's you're drinking your calories. They're empty calories, aren't you? So it's so
1: easy to just, they're not empty for me, Rosie. <laughs> look, they're no, really, they're really not. They fill not my heart as well. <laughs> but
0: um, yeah, look, just moderation really reduces
1: my anxiety. <laughs> it, it, a, it's not empty in any way.
0: But look, it will do that to a point, and then it will actually anxiety induce. So it's really just watching out, watching yourself. How does it make you feel? Um, but, yeah, some people have better tolerance than others as well. So maybe you've got one of those high tolerances.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I need to <laughs> change. Looking at you out now, maybe to, not. I need to change my life. <laughs> um, where do we go if we want to um, find out more about food hacking? You tell us.
0: Yeah, we'll go just go on to rosiemansfield.com and then uh, Food hackers coming out July 2nd and is available in all great bookstores. And Instagram? Yep, hop on Instagram, Mansfield, and just follow me on there.
1: Loads of stuff. And Good Chef, Bad Chef, I remember it fondly because I did – series with Janella Purcell and it's on our TV screens
0: Yeah, I'm loving the show and I'm looking forward to doing many more seasons
1: Talking about diet, and this might be hard to take from a slightly ageing chubby bloke but there's no silver bullet You know, I know a lot about food, but balancing your life and balancing your diet is really difficult. There's no easy way around it. And I think what I've come to terms with, and certainly talking to people like Rosie Mansfield cements in my mind, is that you've got to eat clean and green and healthily most of the time. And then you can be a little cheeky and a little naughty the rest of the time. And to give you an example of what I mean by clean and green, is that we really don't eat enough vegetables. We don't eat enough fruit. We probably eat too many carbohydrates. We're loading our diet with lots of sugars and lots of pre-prepared meals and getting back to basics, poaching some chicken or roasting some chicken, but making that a smaller component of our plate and making the bigger component lots of fresh, clean, green, crunchy, colourful vegetables is the way to go. That's what I call balance and that's what I'm sticking to. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research.